In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who does make us His family. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we're about to embark on a journey. And we are embarking on a journey into one of my favorite books of the Bible, which is the book of Hebrews. And uh, as you look at the book of Hebrews, if you've tried to read through it before, you've probably started to read through the book of Hebrews and went, oh, maybe I'll just read Leviticus. It'll be a little bit easier. Because there's kind of this, this glass ceiling when you get into the book of Hebrews, that uh, when you start reading it, you, you start wondering, what does all of this stuff mean? Because it, it tends to refer back to the Old Testament sacrificial system, and it tends to refer back to stuff that maybe we learned upon, once upon a time ago, but have since forgotten. And it tends to uh, do these interesting little tricks. And so when I started looking at the possibility of doing the sermon series, I decided that uh, it would be a good thing to do the sermon series, but that I would have to do the sermon series in a way that I haven't done in a little while. We've done this before, but it's been a while. And so the way that we are going to be marching through the book of Hebrews is in the expository sermon style, which uh, a lot of you have called the Baptist sermon style, which means that we're going to be kind of marching through it verse by verse so that you understand what's going on in these very intricate readings. And they are intricate readings, but that doesn't mean that they should be kind of foreign to us. And overall, the thing that we're keeping in mind throughout all of this is that in the book of Hebrews, what we're learning is that Jesus is a gift who is given to us, that he is the Lamb of God, that he is the sacrifice that was offered on our behalf. But he is not only the sacrifice, he is also the person who administers the sacrifice. And so if that doesn't make your brain melt, I don't know what will. Maybe we'll get into some Trinitarian stuff. But for this morning, we're going to take a look at Hebrews 2. And it starts off in Hebrews 2, because that's where the lectionary starts off. And the lectionary is this very old system of readings that we have. And why they start off in chapter 2, who knows? You have to ask them. But it's not a bad place for us to start. And so it starts off, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. A good reason to go through it, verse by verse, to pay close attention to what's going on in this book of the Bible. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, and you start going, whoa, you just lost me. What message delivered by angels? Well, what the writer of Hebrews is alluding to here is the Ten Commandments. And the, the thought here is that the Ten Commandments were delivered to Moses through the messenger of the Lord, through the word of the Lord who came to Moses and told him what to write down. And so he's saying the message that was delivered by angels, the Old Testament law, those Ten Commandments that you know by heart, right? Um, that, that, that is the law that has been handed down by these angels. And because... All of those things that are lined up as consequences to breaking the law are in place. 
Well, we know that there is just retribution for breaking those things. Which actually leads us back to looking at things like Exodus and Leviticus and and wondering what is that just retribution. And if you look through those books, we don't have time to do it right now, but you would have to be killing a lot of lambs and pigeons and, um, uh, you know, your neighbors would really start to wonder about who you were. And on top of that, there there would be other things that uh, just really wouldn't even seem to make sense in our society. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is because all of those things exist, but because you know that you have Jesus Christ in your life, you have a choice. You have a choice between killing pigeons and lambs and cows or believing in Jesus. And which one do you want to choose? Well, if any of you want to choose the killing option, we should probably talk afterwards and get you some help. But it's, it, what the writer is saying is that this is an important thing. So how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, a salvation that doesn't require all of that? And was declared at the first by the Lord and attested by us who heard while God also bore witness and signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts by the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so what he's saying here is that there is a new covenant. There's a new way of doing things. And that new way of doing things has been ushered in by Jesus Christ who came and Jesus Christ who told us about those things. And Jesus Christ who came to even offer himself up and then to give us all the Holy Spirit. And so he's just looking back at all of these things that have happened that he probably hasn't seen himself. But he knows people that have because of the writing of this book. And so then it goes on. For it was not angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower, for a little while, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And so you start to wonder about who this author is. Of the book of Hebrews is. I mean, he seems like, well, kind of a schlub if he's not able to tell you where he's citing. You know, this would never get past any of your professors at Florida State if you just said, well, it was written somewhere. But the whole reason that this writer is doing that is that he is focusing on the fact that all of these things have been written by the Holy Spirit. So he doesn't want you to get distracted by the fact that this comes from a psalm. He just wants you to hone in on the fact that the Holy Spirit has given you this information. And the information is this. It's great information that you are to be kings and princesses and princes in God's kingdom to come in the resurrection, that you actually have a higher order in life than the angels. Which we always seem to think about the angels as being somehow in a kind of higher order from us, that it goes God, angels, us. But what the Hebrew writer of Hebrews is telling us is that it goes God, us, angels, which 
kind of twists things around. And you go, well, how is that possible? Angels are really cool. They have wings and halos. They probably don't. Um, Just a few angels. We'll get into that later. Now, putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And that's where we're at. That's why we think angels are so cool. Because it seems like they have all this power. They seem like everything is in subjection to them. That's why in my hometown of uh, St. Louis, Missouri, that uh, right around the corner from my, my parents' house, just a few blocks away, there is this store that is uh, devoted entirely to guardian angels. It's really creepy. And it's this store that's, that will sell you a poster and it'll sell you a statue and it'll sell you all of this other stuff about a guardian angel who's looking after you and protecting you. And the whole reason that people buy into that stuff is that they think that, well, a guardian angel is way cooler than what I am. And a guardian angel is going to look after me. And a guardian angel is going to be awesome. And if I have a statue of the guardian angel, he's going to like me a lot more. And he's going to fight on my behalf a lot harder because he knows how much I love him. Right? But, but that's not how it goes. Because in a lot of ways, the guardian angel is looking at you going... Well, if I just hang around this kid long enough, he's going to be really great. Or she's going to be really great. But for right now, not everything is in subjection to us. It is in subjection to our brother, though. Our brother Jesus, who gives us a picture of what it is like to live in that reality Where the entire world is in subjection to us. Which is exactly, I think, the reason that those writers of the lectionary that I was talking about, the people that choose the readings that we read on a Sunday morning, that's why they put Adam and Eve as our first reading. Because what is the reality that Adam and Eve are living in in this Reality, well, it's before the fall. It's before anybody has eaten any kind of an apple, before anybody puts on a fig leaf, which isn't even in the Bible. And they have the entire world in subjection to them. And we think of subjection as being this horrible, nasty thing where... Uh, if, if we had subjection over God's creation, we would be making dogs do tricks and uh, cats walk on their hind legs. But subjection in Genesis is just simply naming, like you would a pet. It's loving. And so there's this kind of reframing of what it means to be in subjection. And as we continue going on, he he continues to kind of show us what that is like. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he sanctifies those, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. And so what we're going through right now is this period, this time of sanctification, this time that has already been won for us because Jesus has done that for us, but we're not experiencing it yet. It's already been paid for. We're already in possession of it, but we have to kind of grow into that. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, well, this is the whole deal. This, this is what's going on. You are being sanctified. And as you're being sanctified, you are being made more like Jesus. And that's not going to happen entirely until he comes back. And so you're not going to be perfect, which means you're always going to be dependent upon him. But it does mean that there's going to be some growth here. And that you are going to begin to see more and more what it is like to experience that subjection. And the whole reason for this is that Jesus calls you his brother. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children that God has given me. Therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook in the same things, that through death he might destroy the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who fear death, those who, through the fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. And so, what he's saying here is that death doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Just yesterday, we laid Arlen, one of our members here, to rest. And we had a memorial service for him. His funeral was back up in, in Iowa. And for Arlen, because Jesus Christ was his brother, for Arlen, death did not have this slavery aspect to it. It did not have this fear aspect to it. This, his life didn't have this fear to it. Because what we know is that when we die, that then we go and we are with God. And so we can live our lives without this slavery of the fear of death. And yet it creeps in so often. And we have to remind ourselves again and again and again that Jesus Christ has won this all for us. For it is surely not angels who he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
And that is the good news. The good news here is that Jesus Christ didn't just walk around in our earth as this sort of superhero guy. You know, it's interesting when I ask that question, is Jesus your brother? There's always a part of me that seems to reject that a little bit, that seems to say, no, he, he couldn't be. I, I am too unworthy to call him my brother. There, there's always this little part of me that knows that I'm sinful, that knows that I'm lesser, that knows that Jesus Christ is so much more. But what Jesus is telling us here is that it's not because we became greater that he is our brother. It's because he chose to humble himself, to bring him down, himself down to our level so that we could count ourselves as a part of God's family. And that then brings us to who we are as Christians. Because who we are as Christians is we are the brothers and sisters of God. That we are the people who are family to God. And that we live in a world where not everybody is family to God. And so what do we do when we go out into this world? Well, we go about this process of lowering ourselves so that we can meet those who might be the family of God and bring them to know this Lamb, this God who came to be one of us. You know, it's interesting that all of these readings outside of the Hebrews reading really seem to very much focus on, on family. That you have the Genesis reading that focuses on God's creation of the family. And you have the Gospel reading where Jesus is talking about what family means and not to break family apart. And then you have the Psalm reading about what it, it is to have a family and how that is such a great blessing. And then right here in Hebrews, you have how God makes family today. And he's not talking about our biological families anymore. He's talking about this family. About who we are because of him. And that's why we get to call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why I start my sermons off with that line every time that I start off a sermon. That's why we talk about this is because God has included us into his family. And therefore, we are family with one another. And that is a great, great gift. And so now we've laid the groundwork for our sermon series in Hebrews. And it's not all going to be quite step by step as this. But you needed to know that groundwork so that we could continue moving on through this great book that we have. We look forward to seeing you being more encouraged by the fact 
that the Lamb has been given to you. And you have now been given the opportunity to give yourself as family to others. Amen.